great job, kids. That was wonderful. You guys can head back to your parents and find your seats, and we're going to invite everyone to take their seats as well for our morning's storytelling. Well, this morning, we have the privilege to hear from one of our explorers during Vacation Bible Camp. Lila Pearson, who is going into second grade, is going to give you a glimpse of what this week was like. And if you have not had the privilege yet to meet Lila Pearson, she is pretty incredible. Some of her feats of fame are that she can sprint around her entire house very quickly when she gets home. Lila is an incredible swimmer, a diver of that, and she is one of our top-notch Sunday school kids. So without further ado, let's welcome Lila to the stage. I'm here for moral support. Mm -hmm. This past week was Vacation Bible Camp. The theme was Sunrise National Park, and it was really fun. We began each day awesome songs and a funny skip that helped us think about godly ways to solve problems. We played games at the park. We had yummy snacks and made lots of crafts. It was fun to be with my friends and also meet new ones. My favorite part of VBS was playing in church after VBS each day. Thank you for listening to my story. This morning, our scripture reading is from the book of Proverbs. Please follow along in your Bible or use the screens. I'll be reading from chapter 6. Verses 16 through 19. There are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord in the family. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name's Julie Steele. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, this last week in Vacation Bible Camp, I had the privilege of telling the Bible story to the pre-K and kindergarten class. Two things that came out of that. The first day, I told the Bible story, and a little girl's hand went up. I thought she was going to ask me this deep theological question. I was going to be able to just, you know, illuminate with her. So I called on her, and she said, I like your nail polish. I said, all right, well, that's a win, too. The other thing was, whenever I prayed, I would say amen at the end. And this one little boy, Gunner, had to correct me. It was amen. And it wasn't a real prayer unless you said amen. And it took me till Wednesday to finally get that one down. So I, I learned some stuff this week, too. Well, we're continuing in our series from the book of Proverbs, a book that's known for imparting wisdom. And I want to talk a little bit about wisdom in general before we get into our verses today. Wisdom is not information or knowledge. Some of the most learned people are, are not wise, and some of the most educated people are not very wise. Another phrase that we tend to use to describe this is street smarts versus book smarts, right? Right? 
Well, I have some verses that I wanted to share with you that talk about true wisdom. What it says in Deuteronomy, obey them completely, meaning God's commands, and you will display your wisdom and intelligence among the surrounding nations. He's talking to Israel at this point. When they hear all the decrees, they will exclaim how wise and prudent are the people of this great nation. And then these verses in Psalms, which Katie and I did not connect beforehand, and it was in the call to worship. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. And lastly, from 1 Corinthians, instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. You see, true wisdom is foolish to the world. It's counterintuitive. Well, I think we all have a few people that we go to. Whoops, I want to get that off. That was distracting for you, wasn't it? Now you're, now you're not going to hear anything I say until I get to that slide. You're going to have to wait. I think we all have a few people that we go to for wise counsel. My spiritual director and a few mature Christians are people that are my go-tos. And what makes them wise and trustworthy is not their education, but their life experience and pursuit of wisdom of God. So who do you seek for wise counsel when you need to know something that you think that uh, is kind of beyond what, how you can think about your problem? Is it someone that will tell you what you want to hear? Or is it someone that will challenge you to see your situation from God's perspective? As Lila read for us today in our scripture, we find that God hates things, right? And it seems a bit out of place to hear about this list of what God hates in the middle of this book on wisdom, but we are gonna connect the dots as we move along. But as I was preparing for today, it did get me thinking about what do I hate? And I was thinking all week, I came up with just a couple of things. I thought, gosh, there's really not that much I hate. So I asked Elise, my daughter-in-law, I said, you know, I'm having trouble coming up with a lot of, even seven things that I hate. She goes, are you kidding me? There's a lot of things that you hate. I said, all right, well, send me a list. So she sends me this list and I'm like, Oh yeah, I do hate a lot of things, I guess, okay. So I prioritized my list for you of things that I hate, seven, just to keep it the same as our list of gods. Vegetables and dessert food. Really? Carrot cake is the only thing you can put vegetables in that's dessert food. Other than that, you're trying to mix two completely different things and it doesn't work. No beet juice, no kale, no, no hiding things in there. It's like, just, no, don't do it. Bugs and rodents. I don't like bugs or rodents. And I don't like rodents so much that I can't even watch the Mouse King on the uh, Nutcracker. It's anything with a tail. Getting sweaty or touching somebody sweaty. Really hate that. I don't like sweat. I don't want to touch someone else's sweat. When my kids were wrestlers, of course, they'd get done with their match and they'd be just dripping from head to toe. I was like, I love you, but I'm not going to hug you until you shower. 
a no-cake wedding. What is a wedding without the cake? It's, it's the same as a marriage license, in my opinion. So don't try to do it. You have to have something to cut. You can, I, you can have all that other stuff, but you got to have a cake. Mushrooms. Mushrooms is the biggest scam ever, guys. It's fungus, and you're paying a lot of money for truffle oil and these special mushrooms, and don't buy into it. The Seahawks losing are Tom Brady. Tony, I saw you. Where are you? Sorry, okay, he's a Patriots fan. I love you, Tony, but I hate Tom Brady, okay? And anybody who the Seahawks lose to basically is in the same category. All right, the last thing is saying no to my granddaughters. I hate saying no to my granddaughters. When they look at me with that little face and say, Grandma, it's like, it's all over. They get whatever they want. Well, when you look at this list, you probably think about some of the things that you say, oh, I hate that. But you know, hate is a very strong word. And when my kids were growing up, we didn't say hate in the house. We said, I don't like, because it is so abrasive to me. Just like the phrase, shut up, we didn't say shut up, it was be quiet. We did say that a lot, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. <laughs> but we didn't say shut up. So when I look at this list and think about what hate really means, this really is a list of what I don't like. It's really not what I hate. And this list in Proverbs is not about what God doesn't like. It is about what he hates. He feels very strongly about these things. The word for hate here means to detest, turned against, or enmity. This is much more intense than how we tend to use the word hate, isn't it? It's the same word that's used in the Bible for how God feels about idolatry. Ecclesiastes 3.8 says, there's a time to love and a time to hate. We use the phrase, oh, I hate it when that happens, right? Don't we say that a lot? And it's usually over losing a parking space, forgetting something that we were supposed to do, or some daily inconvenience. God loves and God hates. He is a holy God and so he hates what is unholy. Our hatred is usually not holy, it's unholy because we hate it when we don't get our own way. It's self-serving. So why do you think God hates these things that you're seeing up here from the book of Proverbs. I think it's because they destroy the people he created and loves. All of these acts tear down a person or a group, and God is all about building up and making whole. Now, we're gonna go down this list fairly quickly, and we're gonna start with haughty eyes, which means pride. Scripture says that the eyes are the window to our soul. Our eyes reveal what is in our heart. Now, I want to help define pride because this can be kind of confusing. Pride is not low self-esteem. It's not rejoicing in honor given. It's not satisfaction in a job well done. You see, this last week, many of you helped with Vacation Bible Camp. You did a great job. You should feel satisfaction in what you did, 
That is not prideful. Pride is an attitude of independence from God. It's putting or elevating yourself above others. It's needing to be first, get the most, and being the center of the universe. Proud people can be extremely confident and extremely insecure. They can ignore what others think or be consumed by what others think. The minute I think that I can do anything of value apart from God, I'm relying on my own abilities and that leads to destruction. Next is lying. Lying involves cheating and deceiving. Now, we tend to categorize lies. There are big lies, there's little lies, and there's half-truths, right? Saying you don't remember, but you really do, that's a lie. Padding your resume to make it look better, that's a lie. I got caught in a lie my senior year of high school. Some of you may have heard this story before. I had heard through the grapevine that Rich Kaner, a guy I really liked, was going to ask me to senior prom. Another guy, Bob Carrot, yeah, who was a little bit of a nerd, asked me first. I told him I had other plans, because I was waiting for Rich to ask me to the prom. Rich heard that Bob was going to ask me, so he asked Sue Irving. Guess who didn't go to the dance? I lied to Bob, and I got caught. Oh, the tangled web we weave when at first we practice to deceive. It's not in the Bible, but it's still true. All right, hands that kill the innocent are murder. Now, I think we all know God should probably hate murder, right? We don't have a problem with that. And throughout the Bible, the phrase shedding of blood refers to murder of the innocent. You know, when we see or hear about a school shooting or a racially motivated murder, we should be really angry. God hates those things. Now, lest we think that we're off the hook because we haven't physically murdered somebody, Jesus said, if you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are committed to judgment. So I don't think that any of us can say that we've never been angry or wished somebody else ill if they have hurt us. So we too are being judged. Heart that plots evil. When we think of a heart that devises wicked plans, we might be tempted to think of deliberately planning to harm others. And that's true in this case. However, don't we sometimes kind of fantasize about doing harm to someone who has hurt us, getting them back? taking revenge. I have a lot of planned conversations in my head that I plot out to deal with people who maybe have hurt me. That's plotting evil. But equally valid would be failing to give due consideration to whether or not our actions or our words will hurt somebody. Paul tells us not to look to our own interests but to the interests of others. And so we need to think about before we say that thing or we do that thing, could this hurt that person and either make our decision to stop at that point so that we don't plan evil? How about feet that race to do wrong? There are people who thrive on taking advantage of other people's weaknesses. 
We see this a lot with finances and the elderly especially. How many times have you had an email or a phone call asking for your personal information just for a scam, for the purpose of taking your money? There's no shortage of people running to do harm or plan evil. And what about false witness, the one who pours out lies? Now, the difference between this false witness and lying and the previous one is a false witness is lying about another person. It's for the intent of hurting someone else. This describes a habitual liar who lies about others. This person's words are for the intent of harming another or another's reputation. The first false witness was Satan. He lied to Eve about God. He contradicted God's words by telling her that she would not die if she ate from that tree of knowledge of good and evil. Satan is known as the father of lies, the very opposite of God, who is the God of truth. When we gossip or we start a rumor, we are bearing false witness. And lastly, God hates a person who sows discord. I want to clarify that this does not mean that we are not going to experience conflict. Conflict is different than discord. As a matter of fact, there are many of us who avoid conflict at all costs. That's wrong too. Conflict is healthy. Speaking the truth will result in conflict though. What God hates is someone who cultivates it. Someone who likes to stir the pot, so to speak, just for the sake of conflict, not for the sake of resolution. This happens all the time when someone will complain to whoever will listen instead of going directly to the person they have an issue with. And this comes up a lot in families, especially at holiday time, I notice. My daughter-in-law in California is from a family in Texas, and she was telling me about her family and how there's always this discord going on around the holidays. And the one who starts it is Granny. Granny loves to start sowing seeds of discord with different people so that when it comes to be Thanksgiving or Christmas, basically nobody's speaking to each other anymore. She starts to sow these seeds because for some reason she gets some kind of entertainment out of it. She also likes to watch wrestling on TV, so those two might go together, I don't know. This is a big issue in the church family, too. We don't like the way something's done, we don't like a decision that's been made, and so what do we do? We go to a few other people and we start to sow seeds of discord. We're hoping to get others roped in to the things that we don't like or the decision that we didn't like that was made, and get some kind of drama going. God hates that. There is a way to deal with conflict in a healthy way. It's being truthful for the sake of reconciliation and unity. So why is this list that we have here of the things that God hates right in the middle of this book on wisdom? How do we connect those two? Well. I think it's because we are wise to hate what God hates. Hating what he hates is holy hatred. It's not self-serving because it aligns us with God's priorities 
and God's view, not our own. Remember those verses in Psalms? The directions or the decrees of the Lord make simple wise. There is wisdom in knowing and living out God's word, which means hating what he hates. The opposite is true too. It's foolish to ignore what God hates. So this list of seven things that God hates reminded me of another list in the book of Matthew. It's a list on how to be. Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount. Instead of the things that God hates, it describes a blessed person. Character traits that uh, describe them. Now, this list certainly isn't blessed by the world standards, but it is from an eternal perspective. The list in Proverbs is a list of what not to do to be aligned with God, but the list in Matthew, it takes it to the next level. It addresses the heart, not just the behavior. A quote from my devotional said, the only thing that exceeds right doing is right being. That's what we see here, because Jesus isn't just interested in our behavior. He wants our heart to be right because what we do comes out of our heart. He knows it's what our motivation that counts. Our actions, they don't happen out of a vacuum, they come from the heart. They either come from a dark place or a place of light. As I've gotten older, I understand that what we do is just a symptom of what's in our heart. I wish I had had more wisdom with this in my parenting as my kids were growing up. I wish I had taken the time to see beyond the behavior and look at what the heart issue was because that's what God does. That's certainly what he does with us. Seeing what is behind the actions allows me to have more patience and compassion with people, just like Jesus does. If we're lying, what's behind that? What is our motivation? Are we afraid of something? If we're prideful, what are we trying to compensate for? When we ask that question about anything we do, we're gonna find that there's something deeper going on that we need to address. What is behind my behavior? These verses describe a wise follower of Christ. I read these and what I see is a contented person, a person who's right with God and right with others. Another quote says that the Sermon on the Mount is not about rules and regulations. It is a statement of the faith we will live when the Holy Spirit is getting his way with us. As we allow the Spirit of God to infiltrate our hearts, we will be blessed and we will become the best version of ourselves, the version that God created us to be. Some application points here. Is there a character trait in your life that God hates and you don't? Is it holding you back from being the person who's described here in this list in Matthew? Just this morning, I had a lesson in this. I came downstairs to get a cup of coffee and saw that Barry had forgotten to make the coffee last night before he came to bed. 
we have a little timer, and I really look forward to coming down and getting that first cup of coffee. So I was not happy when I saw the little gauge not where it was supposed to be. My first thought was to get angry and use a few harsh words to tell him what he forgot to do. And then I heard God say something to me. He said, Julie, I hate it when you get mad at Barry. I've been getting really frustrated lately with the lack of mobility and things that are changing, and I've used some harsh words. And God hates that. And I heard it loud and clear. I need to hate it as much as he does. And where do you search for wisdom? Do you turn to scriptures and seasoned Christians with their life experience to help you look through problems differently the way God would have you look at them? And what about these beatitudes? The beatitudes, right? You've heard that before. Is there one you need to embrace? Do you need to be more humble? Do you need to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Is your heart pure? Or are you scheming to look after your own interests? And how can you and I be peacemakers where God has called us? Our mission here at Evergreen is for everyone to belong, become, and engage. We are in a season of focusing on becoming more like Christ, becoming what this list shows here. As we pursue the wisdom of God, we will naturally become more like him and be a church known for how we live, how we are, and not just what we do. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us enough to tell us what you hate. We ask, Lord, that anything that we are turning a blind eye to in our own lives, we would recognize as something we need to change, something we have to stop loving and hanging on to. God, we thank you for the wisdom that you give us when we ask. We thank you, Lord, that you are the one who blesses us and allows us to lead a life that is blessed. God, may we be more concerned with how we are than what we do. Give us your view, Lord, and help us to help others to see who you really are by the way we live. Let us be a church, God, who loves you and serves you and has right hearts and pure thoughts so that we can lead others in the same direction. We pray these things in your name, Lord. Amen.